0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovation Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Scott Christensen about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and implications for students and universities, employees and employers, and how it will impact the future of work. Scott Christensen, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations podcast. Thank
1: you for having me, Jonathan.
0: It is truly a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with you. Uh, your expertise is particularly relevant in this um, time of COVID pandemic. And really, as we've seen, uh, advancing rapidly advancing technologies influencing the nature of education and work already. But I think given this current crisis, where we're leaning even more on technology, I feel like it might even accelerate us into uh, embracing more of these technologies moving into the future. So uh, I'm excited to have uh, a really interesting discussion with you today. I wanted to just briefly provide uh, the listeners a bio of Scott. Scott is a successful instructor and business owner with more than 25 years of experience in networking, video conferencing technology, and project management. He currently serves as an assistant teaching professor at the the University of Missouri, where his teaching interests are focused on the impact of technology on society and human well-being. Uh, What an interesting life you live and and an interesting area of teaching and research. Yeah,
1: and as you mentioned, it's particularly interesting right now. I think uh, you're exactly right when you talk about how things are kind of moving forward or... Uh, Some people have said this has brought the future forward or press the fast forward button, whatever analogy we want to to use. I think that we're seeing some changes that may have happened eventually in 10 years or five years that are going to be happening in the next year. Uh, And uh, we are starting to rethink as we reopen businesses, as we reopen campuses in whatever form that is. Uh, how we are going to be able to take advantage of these uh, technologies. And I think we also need to keep a little bit of a Uh, mind toward when should we not be using some of these technologies because it's fairly easy to see a technology that drives uh, a process and makes it more efficient and think well that would be good we want things to be more efficient but sometimes we can uh, have some unintended consequences especially when we're looking at uh, the types of decisions that we want to make involving people
0: absolutely and at the very end of your bio Um, the focus on human well-being in your teaching and research as it relates to the technologies that you use, I think is particularly important uh, because you just, as you just mentioned, we can gain all sorts of efficiencies through the use of technology, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be corresponding negative consequences for the people um, that are using them or, that are displaced because of the technology so we have to think carefully through all of that we have to think through the the people impact we have to think through the uh, ethical considerations of various technologies that that perhaps we haven't really thought about before uh, and that all takes you know a concerted attention and time to work through.
1: Yeah and I think one of the things that um we didn't really take the time to think about or crept up on us was how machine learning and artificial intelligence is being used in these social media platforms. And that's something that uh, my students sometimes, uh, and you know, professors as well, get sucked into and not really uh, step back and really think about what is this doing to how you think about your life, how you think about uh, your relationships, and also how you think about each other. So right now, not only are we going through this COVID crisis, but we have a lot of unrest in the U.S. right now, and a lot of people that have really kind of different realities that they're in, uh, different sets of facts. And a lot of this can be driven by uh, social media, these other platforms that we now spend a huge amount of our time with and uh, just to step back a little bit when we talk about artificial intelligence or machine learning what we're really talking about is being able to give a computer program uh, a set of data and have it look at that data to find the patterns that it can use to predict future behavior or future patterns or uh, what the key variables are So you can do this in anything from image recognition. So I want to identify a uh, cat versus a frog. Uh, Now you and I could sit there and we could program all this stuff and uh, it would be very detailed. Is it green, you know, is it, you know, certain size, all this kind of things. And maybe after a couple months, we would be able to get some sort of computer program that could identify the difference between a cat and a frog. But, Instead, we'll allow a machine to kind of learn like, a, like an infant might learn and uh, give it lots of images of cats and lots of images of frogs and let it work it out. But this can be used in lots of different ways. So we can also uh, look at Scott's behavior on social media and we find that he tends to engage more with certain types of uh, content and he likes things more, he shares them more, and so let's give him more of that. So instead of uh, identifying a frog versus a cat, we're identifying uh, the content that's gonna engage Scott. Well, there's no filter on that or no constraint on that to say let's also have information that is factually correct or that uh, is not divisive or is uh you know not conspiratorial or something like that and so you can get a lot of uh engagement from promoting from these machine learning algorithms promoting things that are uh, really driving us apart right so driving to the to the extreme so certainly your uh, listeners have heard of this with youtube where you click on a couple uh, conspiracy videos or something it's a little bit toward the edge and the next thing you're you're uh, learning the about how the, yeah, the <laughs> world is flat or something like that, right? Uh-huh. So um, because these algorithms are not maximized for um, enlightenment, they're maximized for engagement. And uh, that's one of the things that's uh, kind of disturbing. There's actually uh, a book called Persuasive Technology written by a professor named uh, B.J. Fogg from uh, Stanford. Uh, This should be in the uh, forbidden section of the computer Mm. science library because it basically talks about psychology and how to implement psychological techniques such as random rewards into programs. So you get the infinite scrolling, you get all these other things, and those are just psychological techniques used to maximize engagement. Casinos use these, social media platforms use these as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great example of of some of the negative, unintended consequences, or at least I hope, you know, in the case of social media, I hope that's largely an un, unintended negative consequence. Right. <laughs> um, but, but absolutely, they're there when we're using technologies. And, you know, of course, within the social media space, there's lots of discussion about how and if that should be regulated and how we would do that. And uh, so many things for us to consider. Um, I'm curious what you think, we're both professors, um, I'm I'm curious what you think about the role of AI and machine learning and how that's going to be interacting with and influencing the university space, the education space.
1: Well, yeah, this is an interesting discussion I have with my students as well. And there's certainly things that we could look in our university and decide we would like to have them optimized. Right. So uh, scheduling of classes. uh, I'm just still aghast that this is done at a large, you know, 30,000 student university, mainly on spreadsheets uh, that are emailed around (laughs) and then finally get uh, uploaded to the registrar and, and requests are made there. And uh, that seems like the, the kind of thing that we could turn over to a computer uh, because there's not a lot of bias that could be made. Maybe I won't like my assignment of where I'm teaching, but uh, it's uh, something that could be optimized. But if we start to look at, like, admissions, okay? So we could look at, well, here's our graduates that have been successful. Uh, let's uh, look at uh, their applications. That, let's use that to train an algorithm to look at the current applications and accept those people that would be uh, good candidates or might be successful through our program. Now, I think uh, you might start that out without, you know, with very good intentions, but you may not realize that a lot of your data from the past may be biased in some way or another. There may be a racial or gender or some other bias that you're actually introducing into your system. And so there have been some limited experiments with this and that's exactly what they found. Um, Unfortunately there have been other programs such as uh, one that was used for sentencing guidelines, Uh, same sort of thing where Scott is arrested. Uh, We want to look at people like Scott, see how uh, they did in as far as recidivism and uh, all that kind of stuff. And we'll sentence Scott uh, based on that. Well, once again, that data may have some bias. We're also uh, leaving out the opportunity for individual uh, decision making. So we could look at other areas such as grading. So uh, I'm sure that you have uh, writing requirements for your classes, just like I do. <clears throat> and uh, one of the great joys is slogging through <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, papers. Um, I don't really don't even like to edit my own stuff <laughs> somebody else's, but uh, that's part of the job. And, uh, you know, you could say, well, boy, I'm going to take all my A papers and all my B papers that I give B's to and C's, and I'm going to feed this all into an algorithm and I'll just have this algorithm grade stuff. Now, that may be okay for things like a business memo or uh, something where we don't really want much creativity or you're writing up an article for financial Mm -hmm. uh, analysis or something like that but when you start to look at things that actually involve creativity these algorithms are not going to be able to select things outside the norm so right. the next truman capote uh, enters my class and the ai is going to give him an f because of his writing style right, <laughs> right. So, um so we really have to look at those areas where human judgment is is really required or needed and so that's one of the things that uh, you know, I think we have to think about. Um, Now, I did uh, stalk you a little bit, Jonathan, before this. And so I ran uh, your LinkedIn profile through a uh, program called Uh Crystal Nose. And what it tries to do is it tries to determine personality types based on what is posted. Now, this algorithm is not 100%. And it's but it's getting better and better. And it was done by a couple of founders that founded a startup company. And then it kind of fell apart because they didn't hire the right people. So they were wanting to figure out if there's a better way to do it. Um, So I'm not really sure if uh, this is the way to go or not, but it's kind of interesting. It says that Jonathan tends to be more confident, uh, have more confidence and gut instinct than formal structure, which can lead to bold but unpredictable decisions. I don't know if that describes you or not. Um, visionary, adventurous, spontaneous uh, is likely um, a person who likes to take charge of social situation and shares his thoughts on every matter. So I, I don't know, maybe somebody with a podcast is that type of person. <laughs> um, uh, takes big risks, uh, elevates new ideas, and uh, leads the conversation in a meeting. In a meeting. Uh what drains Jonathan, researching data, repetitive routine tasks, following a lot of rules and inflexible schedules. So I don't know, does that describe you?
0: Uh, parts of it does. It sounds like it's uh, framing me as more of an extrovert than I am. Um, okay. But uh, definitely, you know, we're all, it's interesting when it comes to personality, we, we all tend to um, operate, you know, well, many of us tend to operate slightly differently in different contexts, right? right? So when I'm in one environment, I behave a certain way. When I'm in a different environment, I might behave a, cert- a different way. Um, and I think that's definitely true for me. Um, I, I definitely am not what I would consider an extrovert, though I can behave that way when necessary. Um, but i I tend more towards, you know, listening and paying attention and, and observing uh, in meetings rather than leading them, for example, unless I'm in the role where I'm supposed to lead it. Um, right. But anyways, it's interesting, right? That we have the, we have, you know, you, you said you ran my LinkedIn profile through, right? Right. So you, so you have all this data, it goes into an algorithm, it then spits out um, a, a profile. Uh, and a lot of what you just said, I think is a good description. Um, right and none of it was like completely off. So that's, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, and there's some, uh, when I ran mine, there's some confirmation bias there too, because it says like, I'm thoughtful. I'm like, oh, well,
0: yeah, I'm thoughtful,
1: <laughs> right? So uh, you, know, but, uh, you might have to talk to my students whether they think I'm thoughtful or not. You might have to get some uh, unbiased data. But it did say that I like to work alone like to work on projects by myself. And that's definitely true. You know, I I tend to like to uh, go off and do my own thing um, when I'm uh, working on projects. So I don't tend to have, I have some trusted friends and a few collaborators, but uh, not a lot. So um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know, and and once again, it's uh, reflects how we project ourselves in different platforms, right? So if I project myself on LinkedIn in a certain way, I'm probably gonna be able to manipulate this uh, algorithm.
0: Sure, sure. And it, it speaks to what you were saying earlier about uh, you know, the, the constraints of something, you know, the constraints of an algorithm or AI machine learning, it, you know, it can only predict based on the data it's given. And so that's why sometimes there's bias built into it because the data inputs have bias and so the outputs necessarily would have bias. Um, And so there has to be a way that we balance the efficiencies and capabilities of machine learning with um, human insight and nuance and the ability to understand various contexts that might be out of the norm. right? Right. And that's difficult. Organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. I'm excited to share my insights with you.
1: Yeah, and there's certain professions where I think uh, this is going to have a big impact uh, more rapidly. Uh, medicine is one where we see a lot of AIs that are very effective and even more effective than a doctor uh, at recognizing certain patterns. So if you think about what a radiologist or a pathologist does. That's what they do is they recognize these patterns, right? Here's, a, here's an X-ray, here's a tissue sample. I'm looking for a certain pattern that indicates a certain problem like pneumonia or cancer or something like that. And so uh, there's been some AIs there that are just fantastic in being able to feed large amounts of data about here's X-rays of people that have pneumonia, here's X-rays of people that don't. Now I'll figure out if, this, if Scott has pneumonia or not. Now, where the expertise comes in is afterward is uh, okay. Well, we think Scott has pneumonia. Now, let's we need somebody to really think about um, what is going to be appropriate treatment. You know, what is he going to be able to take? What are his other problems? Because all these AIs are very narrow, they're very mm-hmm. good at one little thing. Yeah. So, if we go back to the example of the uh, cat and the uh, frog, uh, if uh, your daughter was Has recognized the difference. She could probably extrapolate and figure out a little bit about what a lion is, Mm -hmm. kind of like a big cat, right? And uh, even if she's only seen kitty cats, Uh, but a machine learning algorithm is not going to be able to do that, okay? Because it can't take data from one area and transfer to another. So that's one of the things that's very difficult. uh, Is we don't even know what is the the characteristics that the AI is Keen in on. So there's an entire field called adversarial AI, which Mm. tries to kind of break this stuff. And uh, one good example that I go to all the time was a, uh, it's from a number of years ago now, uh, was Google's self-driving car. And they taught it what a stop sign was by giving it lots and lots of pictures of stop signs. And it got very good at recognizing stop signs. Unfortunately, when uh, some researchers got a hold of it, they were able to put some little stickers on that stop sign and it then decided that was a no right turn uh, sign because they weren't specifying the criteria that, hey, it should be red, it should be octagon shaped, and it needs to have the word stop on it somewhere. Uh, and those are the types of things that a child would key in on, right? But uh the ai because we're just giving it lots of versions of stop signs may be in on something else in that image and uh, so that's one of the difficulties so pathologists are also looking at this as far as here's an ai that seems to be really good what if we just turn the image a little bit or something is a little bit altered in the sample how does that affect it so i think these will be very powerful tools and we're going to see doctors having to learn how to work alongside an AI and use it as just another diagnostic tool. Um, Of course, we always hear that uh, AI is going to replace all these professions. I'm not sure in some of these that it's really going to replace professions. I think it'll replace some of the grunt work. Um, I think it'll make it more efficient, Uh, but uh, I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to train our students how to work alongside of these
0: tools. Yeah. And actually, that was the next question I was going to ask you within whether it's the university space where we're teaching students or if it's within organizations as they're trying to train their employees and re- reskill and upskill their employees. How, how is AI going to influence the future of education and training? And how do you think we as instructors and professors, how do we um, prepare our trainees and our students um, to embrace the technology and to be able to have it Um, extend their capabilities in their chosen profession?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. I think we're still kind of struggling with that. And one of the things that I want to make sure that we're doing is thinking about AI and as it gets incorporated into these tools that we're using, making sure that it's there to benefit the student and not the institution. So my institution and every institution has rankings and other things like that that uh, they're concerned with uh, as far as their reputation, this influences all sorts of other dynamics. I would argue that that's uh, a bad way to run a university, but uh, I'm not in charge of running a university. So um, I think that we need to think about this because if we go back to things like admissions, Uh, There was kind of a scandal, I think it was about two years ago, where a number of colleges purchased the SAT scores Mm -hmm. from the College Board. And they did this so that I could, uh, if I was that institution, uh, they could actually recruit students that they had the intention of denying access to their institution. Because if you can uh, say we rejected these high level students, then you are seen as more selective and you move up in the rankings. And so you can imagine an AI being applied to something like that uh, and you optimize the AI to improve your rankings, you could get all sorts of horrible effects. And so how do we make sure that this is really centered on the student? And I'm a little bit worried that we start to see uh, technology firms incorporating Uh, AI into our learning management systems into all sorts of other systems without us really stepping back and understanding that. So I don't know if we need something like an institutional review board. We need an AI review board uh, at an institution or uh, what. But I also think that uh, if we turn this around and we had students being able to use AIs to help them select their institutions. So if they uh, just like this uh, little personality profile. If they were able to look at personality profiles or uh, an AI that was trained with personality profiles of different students and where they were successful at, you might decide that, well, maybe a big university is not the place for me. Maybe I would be more successful at this other institution. So, uh, but once again, can we empower students to make better decisions about their career? I also think that we're going to start to see uh, a lot of different formats for learning and i'm hope, hopeful that our traditional higher education institutions will start to embrace those so like micro learning i was uh, experimenting with one the other day it's kind of neat uh, they send you a text message every day with a on your phone with a new lesson so it's just like uh you know 100 200 characters or something like that uh and uh you know that's kind of an interesting way to do uh, Uh, these kind of micro lessons so how could we incorporate that into classes or uh, how do we change the nature of a class right
0: yeah that's really interesting and i think about you know i'm i'm not a technologist i i teach human resources organizational behavior leadership um but i i want my students to be prepared for the future of work and i want them to have skills that are transferable and adapt, you know, so they can be adaptable as they go throughout their careers. And so, you know, we in the HR field, of course, you know, for example, we we talk a lot about uh, HR information systems and HR analytics, and those are being driven more and more by AI and machine learning. And so, my students may not have any of the like technical expertise of like how do you create an AI algorithm, um, but but they need to understand how to utilize the technologies to their fullest extent and understand the the dangers the potential dangers right. of these technologies right so they can be ethical decision makers and I think about like whose role is that within the organization hopefully every leader in an organization from the CEO C suite on down are t- trying to take an ethical lens but a lot of times their focus isn't on these types of questions their focus is on profits their focus is on reducing costs increasing revenues increasing efficiencies and so sometimes it falls on the HR department to kind of be the, the ethicist of the organization. And I want, the, I want my students to to recognize that responsibility and have some a toolkit to be able to think through these types of things. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting time and in, in we just don't know. We just don't know what it'll look like.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, you're exactly right. There's some dangers here with things moving so fast as we're trying to deal with the COVID uh, crisis and we're trying to get things uh, back on track or back to some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know if we call it a new future or what, I don't know what we're going back to exactly, but uh, I don't think we're going back at all, right? So we're—we're we're, whatever is coming, we're going there quickly. And so I think there is some danger there of not recognizing that uh, this new tool that you just implemented may have these unintended consequences. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's a lot of data journalists that are doing a very good job on uh, researching some of this. And so I would say that anything that, uh, you know, says it has machine learning in it should raise a red flag Uh, and you should uh, really understand what data has been used to train the AI and uh, what uh, the outcome you really want to see from it.
0: Yeah. And that's a really good point because a lot of times it's kind of like a black box. You just... You know what the output is, but you don't really know what's going on um, right. because, because we're not privy to the, uh, the intellectual capital, you know, in the algorithm. And like, so for example, my university is using a, a software called Civitas, which hmm. uses machine learning and AI to help with, um, it, it helps with a lot of student success types of issues in relation to advising and, you know students with red flags and concerns that need to be addressed and some of that kind of stuff Um, what's going to impact student uh, persistence retention and completion those sorts of issues Uh, the problem is it's a complete black box like nobody actually knows how it's spitting out its results and you know we have other areas of campus that are using more traditional um, you know uh, statistical analyses using the same data and they come up with different outputs mm-hmm. and and so of course they can be different but then you know some some of the differences are a little concerning and so then you you have to question well what's actually going on and is this really helping or or what you know
1: right no no i agree 100 percent. we have to have some sort of insight into the uh data that's being used uh and Uh, what is going on in these black boxes. So think about it from uh, something like banking, right? So uh, if you want to find out if Scott is going to be a good uh, uh, possibility for giving a loan to, well, if it comes back and denies my loan, well, is that because of my zip code? Is that because of race? What is this actually about? And certainly we've had to implement laws to make sure that those types of biases are not uh, built into our decision-making in the banking system. But unfortunately, sometimes these, uh, you know, uh, credit rating, I mean, talk about a black box, I have no yeah. idea, yeah. <laughs> you get this score, and uh, they say, well, you can do this, and it might improve it, and this might improve it. Well, you have no idea how this is being calculated, right?
0: Right, right. And I think you referred to it briefly earlier, but when we think about it within a, uh, an organization, um, an employer, more and more um, HR tech firms are introducing these um, AI enhanced hiring tools um, to help you streamline the hire, the selection process, the hiring process, even the interviewing, using video interviews and using AI to analyze the videos and, and all of that. Um, really cool in a lot of ways because it can save a ton of time, but man, it concerns me about The potential biases that could, you know, not that it's done on purpose, but just the nature of how um, it works. You know, as you described, it can only base its its predictions on the the inputs that it's been given. And so, if you had, you know, disproportionately, you know, uh, non uh, racial diversity in the organization in the past, that could definitely influence hiring decisions in the future, which is not okay. It's not okay legally. It's not okay ethically, morally. And, and that's a, a huge concern. And so we have to, you know, while we, we learn how to better utilize these types of tools, we have to be super careful and not allow ourselves to kind of write off our own responsibility and accountability for the decisions that are being made.
1: Right. And to bring it kind of back full circle, back to social media, this is another thing that my students are wrestling with when they go to apply for jobs. Because a lot of folks will want their social media accounts and they'll want to feed this into an algorithm or feed it into a program. And then when I am looking for candidates, I can say, well, throw out anybody that has posted pictures of themselves drinking or throw out anybody that has used the F word. Uh, and uh, you can basically screen and bring it down to, you know, I now I have 50 applicants I'm going to look at. And uh, so that's been kind of fascinating for me to find out that this is going on. In fact, I had several students uh, that had to create social media accounts uh, because they needed an internship. And uh, they were finding it very hard because people didn't believe that they didn't have social media. So I had one gentleman that was in the military or wanted to be in the military. He's now actually a commissioned officer. But uh, during our business program, we required that they go have a internship. And he was having a tough time because he would say, well, I don't have Facebook or Twitter because he had heard when he was you know, 15, if you want to be in the military, you better not have social media. And uh, so he had to create an account and like start posting stuff so it looked like he was actually on there. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of fascinating. Um, you know, that uh, this is the, almost a requirement uh, for some uh, positions, it seems like, or at least it raises a red flag if you don't have social media, um, which is very different from, uh, you know, my days and your days of getting hired, I'm sure. Uh,
0: well, right, and you think, like, in, in the area of HR, for example, in the U.S., we don't put pictures on resumes, right? Um, right. They, actually, they actually do in many other parts of the world, but in the U.S., we don't do that, and there's a a very good reason for that. It's because there's all sorts of biases that come out if someone sees your picture. Um, there's tons of studies that show that once a hiring manager or a, or a hiring committee sees your picture, that that will unduly influence. Um, and even
1: your name, right? And, so even, I mean, your, and study, even your name. Studies on that,
0: yeah. Yeah, and so, but now, so we don't, we still don't put pictures on resumes, but now everyone has a LinkedIn. And so you just go to, you just look them up on their LinkedIn um, whether they provide the profile or not, you go look them up, and then you know exactly, you know what they look like and what their background is, race, ethnicity, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So we have to be careful. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. <clears throat> excuse me. It's been an a- absolute pleasure talking with you. Uh, such an interesting and fascinating topic. Super timely. Super important. I hope everyone will carefully consider how. AI and machine learning are being utilized within their own organizations and be thoughtful about the process of of uh, analyzing the approaches that are being taken. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Scott, uh, and your sharing your expertise. Uh, any final words before we close?
1: Uh, no, I, I will tell you I have a little website, it's it's just learnabout.ai, and I try to put uh, articles and um, things that I might mention uh, that we talked about. So that Crystal Knows website is there and there's some books that I recommend. There's a couple called, uh, one of them is called Artificial Unintelligence uh, that uh, really goes into the details about these algorithms written by a data journalist. And um, so there's some other recommendations there if uh, your listeners wanna check that out.
0: Wonderful. I hope everyone will look up Scott. Um, he's on LinkedIn. I'll put uh, a link to your profile in the show notes uh, and uh, look check out his website and and uh, he, great resources that he's provided and that he can help you with if if you need help in this area. Um, thank you again, Scott. It's been a pleasure, and I hope you have a great week.